0: Welcome to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast, where we explore the local arts culture in the Lehigh Valley. We'll be doing this through conversations with individual artists, administrators, and organizations. We'll explore all types of mediums with a goal of enriching local culture.
1: Welcome back to Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Elise. And thanks for tuning in. Today, Ben and I had a great conversation
2: with local painter and legally blind artist, Marianne Dunwoody. Here's Elizabeth with her
1: bio. Art has always been a very big part of my life. My dad was an artist who went to the American Art League. I never put much effort into my abilities until I lost my eyesight. I was encouraged by a dear friend at a very dark time in my life when I wanted to give up to just try. I took up painting and there was a definite learning curve, from the primitive to the absurdly abstract. Art is a way of expressing and communicating. In ancient times, before there was an alphabet or when it was illegal for women and plebeians to be taught to read, they had to learn through visual art. The same way with children— They learn through imagery and art before they learn to put words together. Although I get a lot of support from followers and friends, some of the visual is lost on me because I do not see it very clearly. However, it's been a very wonderful journey for me to have an outlet, and I really believe that God has given me a way of being excited through art. Marianne,
2: well, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us
3: today. Oh, and thank you for having me. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. I'm very, very excited that you're joining us. Um, I met Marianne through my current job over at the Arts Council, and I'm very excited to have maintained this connection and friendship and have you on the show.
3: Thank you, me. Awesome.
2: Your introduction to art is a little bit different than others. You started painting how long ago?
3: Well... Um, actual painting about six years ago.
2: Okay.
3: But I've been doing different things my whole life. My father was an artist. Mm-hmm. He he went to the American Art League School in 19, I guess, 32. He was 17. so And he did a lot of beadwork and painting and a lot of different things. So I kind of learned a little bit from him. But I've been exposed to different things my whole life. Mm-hmm. And then at certain points in your life, you you have people who, you know, oh, you can sew. So then you have all <laughs> your neighbors and friends like baskets of their buttons that are missing and hems and things. Or, oh, draw me something, paint me something. So you kind of keep it to yourself. You know? <laughs> mm.
2: So you did like under the table art for a long time. Yes, <laughs> yes. But now you're out there in the world and you're painting. yes. 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 Well, your work is absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Um, But you said it's been about six years since you started painting. Yes. Uh, What made you
3: start? Um, Well, with losing my eyesight and, you know, going through some uh, difficult times, um, I met somebody, a friend of mine, Joe, and he's an artist. And he just said, please, you know, just don't give up. Why don't you try? And at first I didn't take it seriously, but then I started to and, you know, it evolved into something. And now it's like my purpose. I just, I'm very passionate about it. I love it. Wow, that's awesome.
0: I think most
2: artists share a passion for painting, but when I look at your work, I can really... Like feel emotion in it, and feel, and maybe it's because I know you, but it it is very emotive and very filled with expression, and I, that's just something I absolutely love about your work.
3: Well, thank you. There, you know, there are times in your life when there are moments like when you hold your baby in in your arms for the first time and you look into their eyes or a man makes a fool out of himself to get your attention, you know. And uh, for me, that was an old flame who sang The Midnight Train to Georgia for me. And it's just, they captivate you in that moment. And you don't have high expectations or you you don't have um, big dreams or whatever, but it just feels so right in that moment. And it captures your spirit. And then you look back on things and life gets in the way and there's a lot of loss and a lot of trauma and a lot of, you know, just whatever. But you can always go back to those moments where, you know, like you had hope and and like the, the renewal of something good and you just want to keep on keeping on and remembering that. The
2: subjects of your work. Where does the inspiration from that come from? Does it stem from an emotion? Does it stem from an interaction?
3: Um, I have to do pretty much everything out of my head. Right. Because, Mm. you know, I can't see too well. And it's more or less um, something will, you know, inspire me. Or the little bit I can see, something will trigger something that I look at. Or, you know, at least you and I have talked about this many times. I, I think out of deep sorrow sometimes um creativity and beauty is boring hmm. and like we've often talked about it could go in another direction you could be like the top of every criminal minds episode also <laughs> but I, I really do believe that people are trying to communicate or trying to find a way of um, taking all that like raw emotion mm-hmm. and bringing mm-hmm. it out in a way that you know, it, it touches someone, it brings all that feel that raw feeling mm-hmm. and captivates whoever the viewer is.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's
3: what I, I'm trying to do.
2: I think you you very much accomplished that in your work. Um what it what exactly is it about your paintings that do you think that is conveying the emotion? Is it the color? Is it the brush stroke? Is it the figure?
3: Um, I like to do faces. I like portraits and I like to do the expression on, you know, people's faces or there's always a background and a story that goes with it. And whatever the person thinks, however they connect to it through or identify with maybe something in their own self that they say, I, I don't know. You know, I can't really say it's the color I like color, mm-hmm. but I think it's more like sometimes you're trying to tell a story, or you're trying to bring character to, uh, in a person's face, in their a look in their eye, or a tilt of the head, or whatever it might be. I'd love to talk about your process and the development of your style.
0: We've used Dunwoodyism, which I love, <laughs> um, and I'd. <laughs> I'd love to hear about that. I'd love to hear about what
3: that means to you. Okay. Um, I have three cans of different sizes that I have brushes in from big to medium to, like, very skinny brushes because I'm not um, a student of the arts. I didn't go to any art school, but I feel like what I'm trying to do by the way I feel the brushes. Mm. Like if it's like an eyebrow that's on a small face, I have a skinny brush for that. If it's something that's wider and I have a a certain brush, so it's just by feel is how I do it. And I just like color. I like to try different, you know, things with color. And that's my ism.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So feeling by brush size and using color. Yes. Okay. And explain a little bit. Um, I know we've talked about this, but for everyone else, uh, how you how you use color because you said you don't tend to mix a lot of paints, right?
3: And the beauty of acrylics are like you can find any color you want, mm-hmm. and I have a magnifier, mm. so I can you know look for that and it t- you know tells me what the what color I'm using, whether it's dark turquoise or mm-hmm. pearlescence or cadmium yellow.
2: And what does your your studio setup look like? You said you have the cans of brushes, you have the magnifier. What else you got in there?
3: So I have a little cart with all my paint on it. And then I have like a lot of lights from the ceiling Mm -hmm. on my easel. And I have these poles with clip-on lights on each side. So I get the whole view from all over. Mm -hmm. And of course, a nice rug and plastic (laughs) on the floor.
2: (laughs) Always a necessity. Yes. (laughs) You mentioned that you like to paint figures and people quite often. And I know your work expands well past that. Um, But when I first met you, there was something that you shared that I found so insanely fascinating about painting figures. I think at the time you mentioned that you were painting a picture of Jesus, like kneeling, and you said that the way in your mind that you picture... The way a figure is sitting, standing, whatever, is that you mimic that with your own body, like almost like a yoga pose. Yes. So, can you explain a little bit about about that process?
3: Um, Well, like again, it's all about the mind. I have to Mm -hmm. go into my head and read. Thank God, you know, I'm I'm pushing antiquity. My mind is still real good. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I sit outside sometimes, and when the sun is at a certain place and a certain time of the day, I can sit and move and pose on the building, like my shot of how I'm trying to do this or just by moving my own body. And then it connects with something in my brain and I try to do it that way.
2: That's something I've, that's stuck in my head since you said it. And I've always just, I've always struggled to draw or paint people. And I've always thought, well, if I could just mimic the feeling of the way that my arm bends or something in a drawing or in a painting, but that's, I, I never would have thought of that had you not said it. So Well, it's kind of <laughs> well you
3: but it's kind of like um at one time I was interested in learning sign language. Hmm. But if you practice in the mirror and someone has to sign back, they're facing the opposite. So your left and their right are on the opposite side. And I couldn't figure that out in my head like how to make that work. Ah. And that's like with art too, because when you hang the painting up the, the left is on the right. The right is on the left. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I, I got to really think about it because, you know, when you put your hands down or your your thumb and your big toe are on the inside of your body. Mm-hmm. And there's times where I've put the big toe on the outside and then, <laughs> you know, like it, it does get to be a little confusing. Like you have to constantly pay attention Definitely. to, you know, what you're doing or if you're like leaning a certain way, the weight of how one leg might be a little heavier than the other. Mm-hmm. So you get the idea the person's leaning.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah,
3: you know, it, it, it all comes together somehow. I'm not a very good teacher. I know what I know in my head. It's hard for me to explain sometimes. Mm-hmm. To...
2: <laughs> no, you're doing doing a wonderful job. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, thank definitely. you.
0: <laughs> Many of your pieces contain a lot of abstract qualities, and I'd love to talk about where that inspiration comes from.
3: Well, that comes from the, I'm, I only have 4% vision in one eye. Mm. Okay. And it's a detached, they're detached retinas and it's held in by oil. So everything is kind of gray and jiggly. Mm. So nothing is clear. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to use my mind and a little bit of eyesight I have to portray something or tell something. Yeah. So that's why it looks a little... You know, people say you shouldn't say you're legally legally blind artist. I said, but I think that explains why some things may be a little off. Mm. And I think that gives character sometimes, too. Definitely. And everybody wants perfect cookie cutter type of
0: stuff. So are majority of your paintings from your point of view, then? Yes,
3: yeah, some are and some aren't. Like I said, I look at different things and I'll say, oh, maybe I could try that. Or maybe I, it doesn't always come out the way, you know, I yeah. want it to. But, yeah, um I I would say so, yeah.
2: And and your work is fairly story driven or inspiration driven, but you have there are some pieces you have that touch on politics or religion. Or yes. Is that just from the time you spend consuming the world around you, or is that a personal opinion um, reflection? Well, or- <laughs>
3: in the past year, being locked down, kind of, and all that was that's all there was. Mm. There's nothing on TV. There's nothing. You know, and I'm just sitting there staring into space and listening, you know, to a TV or something, and then you just feel like, I have to do something. Yeah. You know, I, I have to do something. So it just kind of comes to you. Yeah. You know, and I imagine, um, y- you know, I have I had a woman who I took lessons from a couple of years ago, and uh, it might have been very difficult and intimidating on a teacher's point of view because... They're trying to do their best to, like, how do I teach a blind person how to paint, you know, mm. or to do this. But she was very good with folding paper, and she would have me um, fold it in a certain way. When you opened it up, it was like the outline of a face, and she would have me trace it with my fingers and then finger paint it with paint until you get to a point where it's just you just pick that brush up and you know what to do. And, you know, I have to thank Randall Forte for that. You know, he introduced me to the art establishment, and... um you know, sometimes it's not what you do, it's how you do it. And mm-hmm. they're very passionate about what they do. Mm-hmm. And they just love what they do. And Ellen is wonderful. She's, uh, I don't know, she just is like a one-woman woman show, how she holds that whole place together. She's <laughs> She's <is> she, amazing. <laughs> she is, her integrity and everything, it, it is amazing. And Tom is, a, you know, a man of few words, but he, there's just something, we don't agree 100% all the time, but he just says things and explain things in a way because i need that verbal um connection Mm -hmm. because he could take a paintbrush and you know show me a 100 times how to do something i don't really say it you know i can watch the movement of his hand but he just has a way of explaining Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it just kind of all clicks together Mm -hmm. so he's you know he's amazing with that also so i'm very blessed and grateful that you know, it's been a long journey, but there's been good people in my life, people that make sure I have what I need as far as supplies and canvases go.
2: So, Marianne, of the six or so years that you've been painting, how long have you been working with Tom over at the Art Establishment? Um,
3: since 2018.
2: Okay. So quite a few years. Yeah. How many how many paintings do you think you've you've done in the in that time?
3: Oh my if God. you had
2: to guesstimate. Huh.
3: I don't know because <laughs> I've done over thirty, like during the lockdown and wow. all this. I, I don't I, I can't even count. You know, quite a few.
2: Yeah. And I know you mentioned Thomas been an instructor and someone to kind of He's been bounce great, ideas off of a
3: great mentor and you know, like I feel I, he gets embarrassed, but I feel like, you know, I'm like working with one of the old masters, you know, it's like kind of really cool, you know? Yeah, he
2: is a great teacher. I've taken, I think, one of his oil painting classes. He's a yeah. fabulous teacher. He is.
3: And he's very smart, but he's a man of few words. So it's like when Tom Flynn talks, everybody listens kind of thing, you know? Yeah,
0: Definitely.
3: That's but awesome. it's a welcoming place. They're just so, you know. Mm-hmm. I feel so at home there. They have a wonderful family, and yeah. you know, it's just great.
2: Yeah. Um, what's what is the value to you as an artist of having a space like that and someone to work with that really does work very hands on with you? And
3: oh, it it means everything. You know, and he has a gentle way about him. I've had other teachers that really kind of didn't understand, and then you get, like, nervous, and, you know, like, I'm limited. Mm -hmm. So I need that bit of understanding. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's frustrating. I'm sure it's very frustrating because you're trying to think, like, wow, like, you know, how much can she see? Like, can she see this? Can she see, like, how do I do all this? It's it's hard on both ends, you Mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't raise his voice. He's very calm, and... (laughs) Sometimes I wish he would, but, you know, but that's not him, you know. <laughs> Only kidding, Tom. <laughs>
2: I would I would have to agree. I do. That is a great learning space and a great, just great place yes. to make art, you know.
3: It is. It is. A couple of years ago, I was listening to, because I can't really see the TV too good unless I get up and stand right in front of it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I they were doing something with Ward, and I don't want to say his last name because I'm afraid I'm not going to pronounce it correctly. So, <laughs> and I just heard something in his voice that was so passionate and intriguing. So, I had to stand there and watch, and, and I've been fascinated. Something just captivated me about what he does. I thought that was the coolest thing because I'm always trying to learn. Hmm. That's one thing I'm always. Yeah, I can't read much anymore. I have to, I've gone to audio books, which I kind of, it's kind of okay, you (laughs) know, but I spend a lot of time reading and, you know, looking at different things. So, um, I'm always trying to learn, keep my mind active. And like I said before, I've been blessed with a very good mind and very good hearing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's how I see and view the world and navigate through the world.
2: Mm -hmm. I know you've, been generous enough to share much of your book collection with me so i've appreciated <laughs> oh, that Oh, you're
3: welcome um,
2: do you have any any favorite books
3: i don't know it depends on what i'm interested in at the moment you mm. know i'm just thirsty for for learning mm. so it doesn't really matter i have so mm. many favorites you mentioned before
0: that you love building storytelling and a background story into your painting yes how has reading influenced that
3: Um, It's given me a certain ability with vocabulary Mm. and um, like a play on words kind of to, you know, like some of my paintings, like for instance, I did one uh, recently and it's made in America, M-A-I-D-E-N because it's five women or six women, Mm. you know, Lady Liberty You know, one is freedom, one is justice, one is religion, one is the American Indian, you know, with the basket of corn. Yeah. So the play on words, or I have another one of the Holy Mother in the American flag, and it's pray, P-R-E-Y, for Mm. the patroness. And said, like, it's taught me a lot about um, vocabulary. Yeah. And a play on words and that kind of thing.
0: Oh, that's very cool.
3: Yeah, I love it. That's my favorite. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think
2: um well you mentioned that you enjoy titling your artwork and that's yes. a, that's a big part of I think how people perceive perceive work yeah. too is how the artist decides well, to title it. Well sometimes you
3: don't quite get it till you hear the name and then it kind of fall like oh wow you know. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I think
2: one of one of my favorite titles of a painting you did was the the five senses one because it's a five of five women. And I think that without the title, I'm not sure I would have necessarily gathered that, but do you think that, um, do you think title hold, the title of the work holds too much power over the translation of the piece? Or do you think it's an integral part of,
3: I, I think it's integral. I mean, there was a time and period in history for many, for a long time going way back, where it was illegal to teach people how to read, especially women. Mm. And then in this country, you know, um, people of color, where, mm. you know, it was punishable by death. So people had to learn about things, especially, um, you know, religion, by going to church and looking at the paintings. Mm. There was no, you know, that. so I think that's a big part of it, mm. um, that it's a way of communicating without words. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives people like, I or, or it tells them, what they're missing out as far as reading. But then when the Mm. name goes with it, it kind of all comes together.
0: Well, along with name, we've talked a lot about audio description in the past and how Mm. that can be used to to further describe a piece and help others understand. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know talking just a few minutes ago, you mentioned how much it helps you to hear these descriptions yes. of the pieces and the colors and yes. and
3: w- how that all plays into it, so let's let's talk about audio description for a little bit. Okay. Well, for <laughs> me, I need to know if some if I'm looking at someone else's work, I need to know what I'm looking at. I, mm-hmm. I need to know what colors are being used, or what shapes, or what the artist is trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like size and shape doesn't matter because I can't really tell that. So I need somebody to tell me, like, it's um, a red sky. Like, you know, and I can put my own picture in my head about what it is. Mm -hmm. But I I need that verbal description Mm -hmm. so that Mm -hmm. I know what I'm looking at. Yeah, definitely.
2: Are there people in your life or artists you've worked with or teachers you've worked with that are able to provide that kind of description or is it kind of few and far between?
3: yes. Not so much with my own work, but with other people's work. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I do, you know, over the years, my like I said, my father was an artist and I've always loved art. And I've, you know, I've always, like now I'm in this Picasso thing where I'm like trying to study him. Um, da Vinci was always one of my favorites. I love his techniques going from dark to light, which has made a big difference with the way I do things. Um, because I can see it better than just, you know, putting pink or white. And then I'm like, I can't see it. So I do everything in ultramarine and then lighten it up as I go along. And that was something I learned from Da Vinci. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. most of the stuff I've done, I've kind of done on my own because I just like to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely.
0: Well, I know I know color and understanding the colors used is also very important to both your work and the perception of others. Um, And I'd love to know... When you are listening to these audio descriptions
3: for the colors specifically, how that helps you process what you're looking at. Like Van Gogh is very descriptive in his colors and use like I don't necessarily want to do like a green sky or a purple sky. Like, you know, I I don't know that there is such a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like it to be a standard Mm. color. But there's so many colors that do go together. Like who would think to put like turquoise and brown and maroon together? Hmm. And actually it works quite well together. Yeah. You know, like, um, and I think as time has gone, on, people are more um, savvy about trying different things <laughs> and using colors in different ways.
2: Oh, absolutely. I think in terms of even artistic style, like traditionalist work, traditionalist art traditional periods of history where art's being made it's a blue sky it's people sitting in the green grass pink flowers and of course it's changed and grown to neon colors and ultramarines and and I think that in a description I would assume it's important to understand the colors because that sets the tone so if I say Marianne I'm looking at a painting that Ben did and the sky is blue and the grass is green that's extremely vague right right if I say Marianne I'm looking at a painting that Ben did the sky is electric blue and the grass is neon green mm-hmm. and there's aliens walking around yeah <laughs> versus the sky is <laughs>
3: exactly a exactly. light
2: blue with billowing clouds and a. Uh, forest green grass exactly. like that's two totally different paintings but based on the words you use wrapped exactly. around the color yeah. changes the emotion it changes it the does. mood it changes what the subject of the painting is even about and i think wow. that um that's such a something i wish artists that aren't necessarily blind or low vision would work to incorporate in their work because mm. It's makes it more accessible, you know?
3: Well, it does, and that's part of my sorrow because I don't see things, obviously, the way you do or as a more sighted person does. Yeah. And, you know, people do get, I've made two people cry and they get very emotional, and like we talked about before, to me, everything looks like a psychedelic Simpsons kind of thing, you know, <laughs> and I'm happy that people love it and enjoy it. Yeah. But um, I wish I could see it the way you do.
0: Well, and I think it goes the other way, too. I wish that I could see what you saw when you're painting.
2: Is there um, an artist or a piece of artwork um, that maybe someone did a description for that really sticks in your brain, like something that was done really well?
3: No, just some things I from memory, you know, of paintings that I've seen, you know, my whole life. My father was very good with his books and different things, you know.
2: So people that use good expanded vocabulary yes. in there <laughs> yes. yes, that's good to know good to know yes
3: and i've learned a lot about gratitude and humility uh, along this journey also yeah. not everybody has to like everything that everybody has to love it because I don't like or love everything, but I have great admiration and respect for the, the artist Mm -hmm. and their time and what they, their emotion that they put into it, whether I like it or understand it, I've have a whole new way of, you know, um, appreciating things.
2: So do you have a favorite artist?
3: I would say Da Vinci.
2: Da Vinci. Yeah. What about his work appeals to you?
3: It's not so much his work, it's the man himself. He was just brilliant and was ahead of his time with all his little inventions and, and that kind of thing. He was just very intriguing. And then he went that step further, you know, when they dug up the skeletons and the bodies and the autopsies just to figure out how the body worked. Because before him, everything was so stiff and rigid. If you look at work before him, it's so primitive. And, you know, and he really wanted to see how the human body worked. And I just find it fascinating. Like, yeah.
2: That's interesting that you say that because that connects back to what we were talking about with how you do your figure works, right? How it's very motion oriented and connected to your personal figure and how you kind of shape that to shape the painting or the figure, the subject that you're working on. That's very cool.
3: Thank you. Well, like I told you guys before, you know, I'm pushing antiquity now and someday my stuff will end up on the Antiques Roadshow. And it's how do I want to be remembered,
2: you know. Be remembered for Dunwoodyism. Exactly.
3: <laughs> well, I think, I think
0: that's a really cool point to bring up, too, about how inspiration in art doesn't necessarily need to be an inspiration from the style right it can be oh, an inspiration no. of process and right. so in in your case you're you're doing much more abstract and representational images and he was going for much more photorealism yes. right hmm. but you're using the same inspiration of process there to get to two very very different points
3: exactly and also if i could see well i probably would never finish anything because i'd be trying to make it so perfect <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Another word, so we joked about Dunwoodyism and how your process feeds into that style, but something else that you said when we were talking earlier was I said it's it's abstract and it's this, and you said it's
3: conceptualism. Right. So is that, where did you learn that term? Did you? I heard that about an artist named Alice Neal,
2: mm-hmm.
3: who I guess she was in the early 1900s. She was from Philadelphia, and a lot of her stuff was... Um, She didn't feel the need to correct things if she made, like, someone's eye a little smaller or their finger a little longer. And people like that interesting quality because not everything is perfect. Mm. And conceptualism, I I think, is just running with an idea Mm -hmm. or making something different. And somehow it all just, like, works together.
2: Absolutely. I know you mentioned about... Um, the mirror effect where you have to make sure the thumbs are turned in or the toes are on the correct side of the foot. But Mm. is there any paintings you have that you've just kind of let
3: it go? I'm always like, Oh my God. And then I have to take the painting off the easel and turn it and then say, okay, the thumbs go here. And then Mm. when I put it back, it's, you know, I I just love it. Without this, I don't know what I would do. It gives me great purpose. Mm. And I just don't even, you know, I can't imagine my life without this. It's been a great, great therapeutic, a soother, maybe. Hmm. You know, it's been just a, a great. I can't think of the word. It's your for life's me. work. Yes, and it you, is. You said it, it and is. I
2: think, I think even yeah. in your bio, you said that it's it's very much a way to be cited.
3: It is. It's like having another sight. and and it gives me that belief that there's something bigger than me. This is not me to, because I can't tell you how I do what I do. I just do it. So there's always that, you know, I don't want to say higher power, but there's something greater than us that I think mm. gives me that talent. Definitely.
2: Marianne, you shared that description is a, a valuable part of art to you. Um, and on the show, since episode one, we've been doing an audio description for all the visual artists that we've had come on. So I'd love to talk about your piece neapolitan girl and share the description for it this piece is titled neapolitan girl done in 2021 by marion dunwoody it is acrylic on canvas and 16 inches by 20 inches at the center of a nude colored canvas in portrait orientation sits a pale young girl with dark brown pigtails her hair is tied up with red hairbands. she sits with her feet flat on the floor in a black framed chair she is wearing a cream colored nightgown with blue undertones and red toenail polish In her lap, she holds a bowl of ice cream with both hands. We can see three rounded scoops of ice cream, chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. Her gaze is cast down, looking at the bowl in her lap. This piece is done in an abstract, conceptual style with wide, brushy strokes.
3: Yeah, that was a very good description. I love that little girl, and it's kind of like... um you know, me in a sense, like a, a disheveled little girl where the pigtails are kind of hanging askew and <laughs> um, that treat of the ice cream and the ice cream is kind of like spilling out of the bowl and, you know, toenails painted, kind of like, um, <laughs> you know, like an awkward age or an awkward moment, um, mm-hmm. you know, and but when I was growing up, ice cream was a treat we only had on Sundays and you know, the different, you know, colors represent, I guess, different stepping stones in your life kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, but um, I don't know. I I just, she just came to be from something I saw of Picasso's work. And Mm -hmm. um, I've gotten a lot of good feedback on that. So that makes me very happy.
2: Yes. I I love this piece. And I think that um, there is an air of solemnness to it. But when you look at it and you see the ice cream, you associate, like, a happy emotion with eating ice cream, I guess. Um, So that, back to that very representational emotion in your paintings is very, very, um, very much there in this piece. Well, thank you, because that's what
3: I was trying to, trying to
2: do. I had asked you initially if the underpainting is done in a specific color, and in this one it's done with ultramarine blue. Yeah. And something that I really like about this painting is the color, the beige cream color of the nightgown, the color of the background mimics like the vanilla ice cream almost. So it's very tonal.
3: Well, that's a different, this is something very different for mm -hmm. me because normally I paint the canvas with like a gray gesso. Mm -hmm. and then go from there but I was looking for this dramatic effect I just want you focused on that little girl Mm -hmm. I don't want any background any sky any floor any walls I just want to focus on that Mm
1: -hmm. so I
3: went with like a buff color background because I don't know why it's just something that I wanted to do I didn't want to expand on it make it the whole canvas I just want to focus like a spotlight almost on just Mm. what that's saying
2: Absolutely. I've noticed that a lot with some of your more recent paintings. And I, I don't, we haven't talked about this yet, but I don't know if you tend to paint in series or not, or if it's just kind of one, like a one-off sometimes. Um, But a lot of the paintings I've seen of you of that you've done recently is more of this very subject focused human figure with little background. Um, there was one that you did, I saw on Facebook a couple weeks ago and I can't remember the title of it, but it was a woman. It was very heavy in the ultramarine blue. Um, and almost, I think in the past you described it as like cubist almost. Oh
3: yes. Um, I have like my lady warism and yes, that's the one. Some kind of ism. Um, I, like I said, I've been like looking at a lot of Picasso's work. I have a, I don't know if it's called the CTTV or something I got from. Um, you know, center for vision loss, and it magnifies things so I can see it on a screen. Mm-hmm. Not that clear, but enough that I can see it because I can't see it in the book. And I, you know, Picasso was a strange man <laughs> with his like cubism and bringing all that together. So I just wanted to try something different. Mm-hmm. And I kind of enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun working with that, doing the the shapes and the different colors of the body and that kind of thing.
2: Today is July 26th, 2021, and it is exactly one year ago today since I have met you for the first time in person. You were so gracious to share your time and your story when Lehigh Valley Arts Council did our Champions of Inclusion documentary last year your interview was awesome. And that I have to say, um, something I appreciate you other than your art (laughs) Uh is you are an extremely candid, extremely honest, um, disability advocate. And I've always really admired that about you. So I thank you so much, especially in this interview, just your honesty about your experience. Thank you. Thank you. So happy, uh, 31st anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act today.
3: People think that, um, like, how can a blind person do this? Or how can, like, a one-armed person be a surfer or mm-hmm. a pitcher, you know, for the, uh, you know, a major league baseball team? Or, you know, there are exceptions to everything, I think, you yeah. know, or everybody mm-hmm. has their own talent or qualities. Mm-hmm. But some people can be very um, hurtful. 'Cause they tend to think maybe if you have a disability there's something else going on and you don't understand or you don't have feelings. Mm. And that's been a hard journey too. Oh, people just feel sorry for you. That's why they like your paintings or you know, and I don't make any money if I if somebody does, you know, purchase something, it keeps me in lessons and paint and canvases. So I'm not doing it. I do it because I love it. Mm -hmm. And not for any other reason. You know, it it just gives me, like I've said before, it's become part of my spirit and it gives me purpose. Yeah, And I'm very passionate about it. And I don't care if I never become famous or whatever. I just do it because I love it.
2: There is an expectation with disability, no matter what the disability is, that people assume you're not as capable as someone else. Well, there's
3: a jealousy with other artists for Mm -hmm. whatever reason. I don't get it because I would love to be a fine artist and look at a photograph and paint it exactly. But I I can't. I do Um, what I do.
2: You are a fine artist. Well, you know what
3: I mean. uh, um, A A photo realist
2: artist, maybe not. But I don't. That doesn't demean the value of your work. No, I I know that. that. But,
3: you know, like I remember like my father was so amazing. He Mm -hmm. could look at anything and make it look so realistic, you know. But, you know, that's not what art is not all about. That it's what speaks to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I really, really like your work. And
0: part of what connects me to it is that when I take my glasses off, I can't see more than three inches in front of my face without things turning into shapes. And so being able to look at this piece when I do have my glasses on and go over to my wife and say, if I were to take my glasses off right now, that's what I would see. And her be able to understand that is incredible and also gets me very emotional because there aren't many ways that I can express that to people. And so seeing that in your work is just incredible. Thank you. I appreciate
3: that. That was, you said that really well. Thank you. My friend Irene has been a great inspiration to me. And, um, you know, uh, have somebody take pictures and send them to her, a messenger. And she's a fabulous artist and a friend. And she's been very good with helping me with a lot of things. She, mm-hmm. I've learned a lot from her. And thank you, Irene. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Irene. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: but I did want to say that if you would like to look at Ann's work online, you can find it on her Facebook page, Mary Ann Dunwoody. The last name is spelled D-U-N-W-O-O-D-I-E.
3: And Marianne is two words, capital A.
2: Yep, capital M, capital A. And then there is also a page on the Art Establishment's website, which is com slash gallery hyphen one. And you can find more of Marianne's work there. And if anyone would like to purchase her work or get in contact with her, you can do it through that website as well. Marianne, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And thanks for
3: having me. This was Absolutely. great. Absolutely.
2: And that was our conversation with Marianne Dunwoody. Marianne, thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing your story and for being such an amazing advocate. Today our day of recording is July 26, which also happens to be the 31st anniversary of the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act. On July 26, we celebrate this important civil rights law that prohibits discrimination against individuals with disabilities in all areas of public life, including jobs, schools, transportation, and all public and private places that are open to the general public. The purpose of the law is to make sure that people with disabilities have the same rights and opportunities as everyone else.
1: While we celebrate the progress that's been made, we understand there's still work to be done. There are a multitude of resources and nonprofit organizations in the Lehigh Valley that support individuals with disabilities, including the Lehigh Valley Center for Independence Living, the Arts and Access Always Program with Lehigh Valley Arts Council, the Disability Friends Community of the Lehigh Valley, Sites for Hope, and many more. For more information and for arts accessibility resources, visit artsandaccess.org.
2: As we close out today's episode, we want to give a huge thank you to our listenership, as we have officially surpassed 1,000 downloads on Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. We also wanted to share that this is our finale episode of Season 1, and we are so excited to announce that we will be back with the first episode of Season 2 at the end of September. Stay up to date with everything Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast by following us on Instagram at Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. Thanks so much.